Well, this morning we are concluding our sermon series on the book of First Peter, Living Hope. My prayer has been throughout this, uh, these eight weeks that each of you would experience that living hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And more than that, that you would uh, understand that in the midst of difficulties and trials, uh, in this little kingdom that we call the earth, the world, that you will experience the love and the grace of God in new and profound ways. So today we're going to look at the last chapter. It's kind of a benediction. And it's uh, Peter's way of, of giving us the tools that we need to survive in a very broken world. And uh, so I just encourage you today to open your heart to, uh, to this word. Um, we started seven weeks ago uh, talking about the context of this great book. Uh, Peter was writing probably in the mid-60s, uh, first century A.D., and he was writing this book to scattered Christians throughout Asia Minor to encourage them to stand fast in the face of persecution, to live for Jesus in a hostile world. The Christ followers uh, in, in his day had, had absolutely no leverage whatsoever, either political or cultural or financial leverage, so they were just kind of left out there to make a way. And Jesus gave them a command, and that command was to go and to love the world so that they will see and know and experience the love of Jesus. And so that's what those first century Christians did. But they did it in the midst of horrible persecution. Horrible persecution. Hostility. Brokenness. A sinful world. Peter answered the question that we've been posing throughout this series. How do we live with hope? In a hopeless world. Peter reminded the Christ followers that we live in the kingdom of man. And we talked about that quite extensively throughout these weeks. The kingdom of man is what I call the little kingdom. It's a living life on this planet. And it's, it's a good life. And God has given us great things to experience. But it is living life on this planet. And it is temporary. And this is not our permanent home. And this life is filled with difficulties and struggles. In fact, the enemy, Satan, is called the God of this world. And there is evil and there is brokenness and there is sin and there is pain. And we've all experienced that. That's the little kingdom. Don't get too attached to it. It's only your temporary home. But the big kingdom is the kingdom of God. It's the place where you find salvation, where you find peace, where you find purpose where you find eternity waiting for you in heaven. All of those things are in the big kingdom. And the question Peter poses is this, how on earth are we supposed to live in this little kingdom as big kingdom people? And that's what we've been talking about for these last several weeks. Peter talks about in the little kingdom, there are things such as submission, submitting to the local government and authorities, and we're commanded to do that. He also talked in the context of the first century about women submitting to their husbands, slaves submitting to their masters, all of those for the purpose of the Lord's sake. Now, those things don't carry off, carry into our society today in terms of those things are proper or good. But what Peter was saying is in the context of whatever you're facing, do it the right way. Do it the Lord's way and he will bless you. So you are going to suffer. That's the little kingdom. You are going to be asked to submit unfairly at times. You are going to experience persecution. At the end of chapter 4, Peter sums it up this way. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator 
and continue to do good. In other words, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering, stand fast. Stand fast. Suffering is always going to be there in the little kingdom, but we are big kingdom people. So Peter provides uh, what I would call a survival kit for the first century, and that survival kit is just as effective today as it ever has been. And so I want to read you chapter 5 of First Peter, it's only, it's just a short uh, passage, uh, 14 verses, so it just takes a little over a minute to read. But I want to read you this because it kind of sums up what we've been talking about, and it also adds a benediction that Peter says to you that are struggling, okay, now I want you to know something, that God's going to always be with you. Christ is going to stand next to you, so stand fast. He begins uh, the fifth, fifth chapter, the last chapter, by speaking to the church about um, leadership and the elders in the church. And so let's begin at verse, chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Clothe yourselves with humility. Many of you use that with your teenagers. It doesn't usually work very well. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And then the final greetings. With the help of Silas, who I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. That takes a whole sermon to unwrap that. We're not going to touch that today. Uh, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. That is God's word for you today. So here we have the summary of, of these principles that will help us survive until the Lord returns. This is our survival kit. How we are to make life real and wonderful in spite of living in the little kingdom, how we're to do that. And here's what Peter says is the survival kit for you. So here it is. Principle number one. Principle number one is this. Follow the right leaders. In the first century, there were many leaders who were clamoring for a time and uh, authority. And there was all kinds of religions that were springing up because this kind of newfound Christianity was kind of loosening everybody up from either paganism or Judaism. 
And when these things were loosening up, all kinds of new religions would come flowing in and people were kind of going off on different tangents. And, and Peter says, you know, slow down. You've got to make sure that you find the right leaders to lead these churches. You've got to make sure that you find the right people to lead the church. Get the right leaders. Get the right men and women who are called and ordained and gifted to lead as shepherds. Now, there, there's an old uh, saying uh, that I heard a lot when I was growing up as a boy. It's not a word that's in the scripture, but it's a very powerful word, and it's this. How many have heard of the word under-shepherd? Anybody heard that word? Okay. Thank you, honey. Sherry grew up the same time I did. Yeah. So under-shepherd. So here's what an under-shepherd is. An under-shepherd is a shepherd of God's people. Okay, that would be myself, the staff, the elders, the ministry leaders of our church. Those are the elders, right? The, uh, 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 the, those in our church who are leaders. Um, it would be those people who have been called to take care of the flock of God. And you are the flock of God. Okay, so a shepherd is one who takes care of it. An under-shepherd is recognizing that the true authority in my life as a shepherd is Jesus Christ. He is the great shepherd. I am under his authority. I am an under-shepherd that shepherds the flock of God. So that's what this is kind of talking about. Our work as shepherds is to shepherd the flock of God, verse 2. Which means to give guidance, comfort, instruction, exhortation, um, one of the things that we work on every week, uh, we meet on Tuesday mornings uh, for three hours and our staff meetings and we have fellowship and we have uh, uh, encouragement. We study in the word and we talk about our church and how we can make things better and more uh, tasteful for those who are coming to receive the Lord and to receive the grace of God. And so we're constantly talking about how we can set the table, you might say today. Uh, Pastor Ryan has set the table uh, for the preaching of the word. Uh, our children's ministry and youth ministries are setting the tables so that those children and youth can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and receive, come and eat. So our job is to set the table. Now, we bid you come and eat, uh, but you don't have to eat. Uh, there's a lot of people in the world who can hear the good news, hear the gospel and say, I'm not going to take part of that. I'm not going to eat that. But one of our jobs is to set the table and to bid you come and eat. That's what it means to shepherd the flock of God. Now, I believe that God has called unique leaders to Hope Covenant Church to feed the flock of God. In fact, I want to identify them for you. So I would like those in, our, in this service, staff, um, elders, and ministry leaders, if you're teaching a Bible study, leading a ministry, any of those kind of things, I'd like you to stand where you are, okay? okay? Would you just stand where you are, okay? And stay standing for a moment, okay? And just look around. These are what this text is talking about, okay? These are those who are doing their best to feed the flock of God, to uh, be your leaders. And so thank you very much. You can sit down. Be sure and thank them after the service today, those that you recognize. Be sure and thank them. I believe God has called us with some really unique and wonderful leaders. Um, but here's the key. We are not asking you to follow us because of our position. I'm not asking you to follow me because I'm a pastor. Uh, what, I, what I'm asking basically is this, and this is what Paul said. Follow me as I follow Christ. Every one of the leaders that stood a moment ago, follow them as they follow Christ. Don't follow them because of their position. Follow them as they follow Christ. Here's what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders 
who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's what God has called us to. The right leaders, the leaders that live for Jesus. Not only live for Jesus, but always point to Jesus. You can always tell a leader that's a good leader if they're always kind of subversing themselves, submersing themselves in Jesus and pointing to Jesus. That's how you identify godly leaders. So that's what we would say to you as leaders. Follow us as we follow Christ. If we're not following Christ, please don't follow us, but follow us as we follow Christ. So the first thing is you have to identify the right leaders. In difficult times, in difficult times, Jeff, we talked to, Sherry and I talked to a woman this morning that she said, man, I didn't feel like going to church today. I was sad and lonely and I wasn't feeling very good. And then she turned on the Christian radio. She started listening to Christian music. She said, I've got to go to church today. I've got to go to church today. So she got up, made herself get here. And today she is doing what Peter said. She is standing fast. Life's not easy for her. Son's dying of cancer. Husband has some issues. Life's not easy, but she's standing fast. So we have to find, identify the right leaders. Principle number, principle number two, practice humility. Practice humility. Clothe yourselves, this is 1 Peter 5, 5b to 6. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Now, what's wonderful about this is that you get this picture of, uh, of, of, of God literally lifting you up. The only way that God can lift you up is if you're down. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about down. Sometimes you're down emotionally, spiritually, and, I understand, and God promises to lift you up. But this being down, the, 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 the metaphor here is that of humility that you're bending a knee to Jesus. You're bowing before your Lord. And you're bending a knee in humility. Lord, you are my only hope. You're my only strength. I can't do life without you effectively. Lord, I submit my life to you. Those people, Jesus said, I will lift you up. That's why it says in the Gospels, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Usually we joke about that at potlucks, you know, because I'm usually the last one to get in line. And so I say the last will be first. Well, actually, what that's talking about is that those who lift themselves up in life, those who are proud and stand up before life, those are the ones that the Lord will make, make them bow down. So you can either be humble because you're choosing to submit to God, or God will humble you. You know, you lift yourself up, God will take you down. You take yourself down, God will lift you up. That's the deal. Peter says, practice humility. He turns to the inner life here. Practice humility. It's not just feel humble, because you can't just feel humble. He says literally it's something you put on. It's clothing you put on. You put it into practice. Now, for those of us who are marriage, married, uh, marriage is the best laboratory for humility. Okay? I mean, you know that, right? And so you, you practice that humility. D.L. Moody said it this way. Lord, make me humble, but don't let me know it. Isn't that a great prayer from D.L. Moody? Make me humble, but don't let me know it. And C.S. Lewis said it this way. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. If you think you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. That's C.S. Lewis, a wise man. Humility comes from the proper understanding of God's grace. 
recognizing, like it says in Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8, that everything I have, my ability to do a job, my ability to think, my ability to live a full life, everything I have is all a gift from God. It's all given to you by God's hands. When you recognize that everything you have and everything you are is a gift from God, it makes you humble because you recognize that everything, your very source of life, is from Jesus and Jesus alone. Nothing is earned. Humility is not running yourself down or hiding your talents or your accomplishments. It's just the opposite of that. It's lifting up Christ. It's lifting up Christ. I remember uh, years ago uh, when I was first preaching, uh, somebody would always say to me, uh, thank you, Pastor, for that message today. And I'd, al- I'd always go, oh, no, I, I didn't think it was very good. I, you know, I, 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 I thought I messed up in some places. And, and all those things were true, and they still are. But I would do that. And finally, when somebody told me, they said, you know what? When somebody says thank you for a message, just say thank you. <laughs> just say thank you. Uh, and, say, and give the praise to God. Just you know, I, I hate it when somebody makes a nice dinner and then they say, well, there's lumps in the mashed potato. Well, that's what makes them good, okay? Just get over it, you know? We love lumps in the mashed potato, and we have lumps in our lives, so we just kind of get over that, right? Humility is not debasing you. It's lifting up Jesus. Uh, yesterday, um, uh, of course, Saturday after Thanksgiving, not a lot going on at church. After the AA meeting, uh, the only ones that were here were Ryan and myself and uh, part of our landscape team. And... Um, now, you came to church this morning, and uh, the landscaping looks great. It looks beautiful. We have wonderful people that do that. And uh, everything was swept and uh, blown clean and everything. Uh, it wasn't that way yesterday. Okay? It is that way today. We have people in our church, and I'm not going to use their names because they don't like me to, people in our church that come here every Saturday, and they prepare our church inside and out to be beautiful for you when you get here. And they do it with a gift of humility. They don't want somebody to say, you know, thank you. you But the gift of humility, it's so beautiful when you see people practicing this kind of humility. Peter says, put it on like clothing. In the survival kit for the end times, Peter says, we have to have humility. There's something else in the um, uh, survival kit. Principle number three is this. Release anxiety. Now, even as I say those two words, some of you have your anxiety rise a bit because I just reminded you of anxiety and things you should worry about, okay? Peter says, release anxiety. First Peter 5, 7, this is a verse, those of you that grew up in Sunday school and church, you learned this when you were a kid. Cast all your anxiety on him because he what? He cares for you. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. J.B. Phillips, who is a wonderful translator, says it this way. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties on him. Let me say that again. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties on him. Now listen for the next part. For you are his personal concern. (laughs) Did you know that you are his personal concern? He has a personal stake in your life and in your cares in this world. He has a personal stake in how you live your life and the kind of joy that you experience in your life. He says, that's my personal concern, and I'll see you after it. And because I have a personal concern in the things that you're concerned about, why do you have to be so filled with anxiety? Why do you have to fill up with all these concerns if you know that God has your personal best, your personal concern in mind? You can throw your whole weight of anxieties upon Him. That word cast in the um, 
original language means to throw off with vigor. It's like a, uh, somebody that's been hiking the Grand Canyon all day with a heavy backpack. At the end of the day, you don't just carefully take off your backpack. You throw it off with vigor. Oh, man, it feels so good to get that thing off my back. That is what Peter is saying. Cast your cares on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Your, your life, your welfare is His personal concern. And He will look after you. I, um, when I was a little boy, uh, uh, my dad, uh, when he got out of the Navy in 1946, he went in at age 16 in the Navy. You could do that uh, during World War II uh, if you had parents' permission. So he went in at 16. So he gets out of the Navy in 1946, after the war had been over for a year, uh, as a veteran of the military of a world war, 19 years old. Okay, so, so he's there, and he marries my mom. And like my dad used to say, my twin sisters were born nine months and 20 minutes after he married my mom. And uh, so, that, you know, three years of being in the Navy. And so, uh, so uh, but he had no high school education. He was a very bright man, but he had no high school education. So he started going to school at night, get his GED, then eventually kept going and work on his college degree. So my dad worked as a milkman during the day. He drove a milk truck. And we... Our family still couldn't survive on that salary because he was also going to school at night. So there was periods of time in my life when I was a little boy when my mom had to work as well. And so my mom would work at night. My dad was going to school at night. So my grandmother, who lived next door, would come and take care of us kids. But I remember, even as a little boy, I think I was seven, eight, nine years old in that range, I remember that I was filled with anxiety over that. I wanted my mommy to put me to bed. I, I love my grandma, I love my dad, you know, but I wanted mommy to put me to bed. I, I, that's, I mean, that's what kids do, that's what they want. And I remember that I couldn't sleep. And so here's a little eight-year-old boy, you know, that is, can't sleep tossing and turning because his mom's not there to tuck him in. And my grandma would come in and she would rub my back and she would, she would say, can I make you some warm milk? And I'd say, no, but how about some ice cream? She'd say, no, warm milk or nothing. So, but I was eight, you know, and, and no. And so, but she would rub my back and then she would sing the song. And I don't remember the tune, so I can't sing it for you. But it was uh, th- that wonderful uh, passage uh, in 1 Peter 5, 7. And she used to sing it in the King James Version, of course. That was, she's old school, right? Was old school. And she would sing, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. And she'd sing that over and over again rubbing my back until I'd fall asleep. I believed that then, that God would take care of my cares. I still believe that today. I'm not eight years old anymore, but I still believe that to my bones. That God says, I will personally look after your welfare, Dwayne. So why should, if you can fix something, fix it. If you can't fix it, stop worrying about it because God says, I have your personal uh, benefit in mind when I look at you and when I know you. That is principle number three. Principle number four is this. Beware of the enemy. Listen to verses eight and nine. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. I don't remember the exact quote of C.S. Lewis. I should have looked it up this morning. But most of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors, right? And I don't remember the exact wording. But he said, one error is to disbelieve in the devil. 
And the other error is to believe that he has too much control in the world. Both of those are equally false. The enemy is alive. And he is well. And he's doing everything in his power to take as many people to hell with him as he possibly can. He is the God of this world. He, if you want to know what, why there's evil in the world and brokenness, it's because people are following him and not following the Lord. This is what we face every day, even as believers. Now, Peter gives us twofold strategy. He said, this, this, this enemy is prowling about, and when the enemy prowls about, he doesn't just come up and bite you. What he does is he comes up and he, he dangles bait in front of your nose, and he knows what your bait is, what you particular de- designer bait that you snap onto. For me, it was gambling, and for me, it was pride, and those kind of things. For you, it's something else, but it is something, believe me. And he dangles that in front of you, and you just kind of snap on it. That, beware of that. Beware of that. The enemy knows your weakness, and he will play it up to his best. And, and Peter gives us two strategies for overcoming this. And Peter says, resist and remember. Resist. Stand firm in the faith. And don't just stand firm in the faith. You stand firm in the faith with the Word of God. Now, we don't have time to go into this, but in Matthew 4, when Jesus was taken up on the mountain after he was baptized, and the enemy was there trying to tempt him, and the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, he was tempting them. And all of a sudden, Jesus started speaking the word of God to the enemy. That's the victory. If you want to know how to resist the devil, you stand firm in the word of God. But he also said, besides standing firm, you need to remember Remember what God has done in the past. And remember specifically, and this is very important to the text, remember specifically the grace of God. Sometimes we remember how hard it is to live our lives, and we remember the difficulties in life, and those things are all real, and I understand that. But remember the grace of God. Remember grace. It's not us, it's Him. Remember the blood of Jesus. It's not our good works, but it's the blood of Christ that washes away our sin. Remember, we have been set free. We are no longer in bondage. Live in that freedom. Remember, remember, remember. And then Peter offers one last survival principle. And this is really the meat of the entire text. Stand fast. Stand fast. Listen to verses 10 to 12. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you, testifying, encouraging you, and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Now imagine Peter speaking these words and writing them down and circulating them to all of the dispersed believers in Asia Minor. And these people who have been hounded by Nero, these people who have all kinds of problems and issues, these people who are struggling to survive every day of their lives, Peter speaking to them these words, Stand fast in the grace of God. I know it's hard. I know it's terrible. Stand fast in the grace of God. This is a benediction on the entire book. He will restore you. He will give you strength. 
He will be your firm foundation. He will make you steadfast. He will personally, because He personally looks after your welfare, He will personally pick you up and set you on your a firm foundation with the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this um, whole passage connotes... You remember a couple of weeks ago, a terrible superstorm, Sandy, that hit the West Coast. Still, a lot of people are displaced and you need to continue to pray for them. But I remember watching some of that. And there was this one reporter that literally had herself tied. I don't know if it was a cable or a rope or something, but she was tied to a post. Now, I know it was for the purpose of the audience to go, ooh, well, it worked. I went... Ooh, man, that's awesome, you know. She had to tie herself to the post to keep from getting blown away. Probably not, but it sure looked good on television. But that's exactly what this phrase means in the original language. You lash yourself to Jesus. If you find your life is rough, if you find things that you can't hardly stand, if you find that you are being weak and broken in life, you lash yourself to Jesus. That's the place you go. You don't go and find out, you know, talk to Dr. Phil. You don't go and do You lash yourself to Jesus. You do that because it is the true grace of God. Uh, there's this, my, one of my favorite uh, pictures. Let's put up that picture. Uh, it's in my office. You've seen it a thousand times. Uh, it's a painting uh, by Thomas Blackshear called Forgiven. But have you ever felt that way? I know you have. I have numerous times in my life. Have you ever felt that you, you can't even stand on your own two feet? You felt like your life is so in disarray. You, you've just ha- heard news that your husband wants a divorce. That you just heard news that your kids are atheists. You, you just heard news that something is going really wrong and you can't hardly stand. Behind that pain stands the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand fast in him. In His grace. Yesterday I had the privilege of um, meeting a woman. And you don't know her. Uh, she's a friend of someone in our church. And she told me her story and we talked for a while. And the reason she um, was re- referenced to me was uh, because Sherry and I have lost a child. Well, four years ago, um, their 13-year-old son, a precious little boy that loved Jesus, um, took his father's gun and killed himself. And this woman, four years later, and she thinks it's been a long time, and I told her, believe me, it's not a long time. Four years is not a long time. And then there's another family tragedy that's going on right now. And she was so broken and so upset. And it was so difficult to even talk to her because it brought back some of those memories for me. I'll tell you what, you have no answer for that. Except, lash yourself to Jesus. That's all I can tell you. Just ride the storm. Lash yourself to Jesus. Nothing else works. Paul said what Peter said here, and it's that Jesus is the God of all grace. When it says literally Jesus is the God of all grace, this is what it means. It means literally He is the God of every kind of grace. Are you confused in your life? He has grace for you. Stand fast. Are you discouraged? I see it on some of your faces on Sunday morning. I know you're discouraged. He has grace for you. Stand fast. Are you bleeding? Broken? In pain? Cancer? He 
has grace for you. Stand fast. Are you upset, angry, disillusioned with life? He has grace for you. Stand fast. Are you guilty, shame-filled? He has grace for you. Stand fast. Whatever kind of grace you need, stand fast in it. My Bible, I've had this Bible since um, 1988, I think is when I got it. And I know it's falling apart. And everybody sees my Bible and says, buy a new Bible. And I know, but I'm not going to, so just leave me alone. And, um, but, you know, I've got a hundred other Bibles too. But this Bible has been with me for a long time. And underlined, you can't see it, but underlined in red and circled is this verse in 1 Peter 5.12. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. And in the margin, I have two entries. One, Tyler's death, 10-19-89. The other entry is my reordination after my gambling addiction, February 2000. Now, one of those events was my fault. One of those events was not my fault. But for either one, there's only one answer for me. Stand fast in the grace of God. I I don't know what you're going through. I know some of you. I don't know where your pain is. I don't know what you're feeling in terms of persecution or loneliness or lostness. But I do know this to be true. You stand fast in the grace of God. That's the only place to stand. The only place that will hold you up. Stand fast in the grace of God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we... um, come to the end of this wonderful series in First Peter, we have discovered amazing things that those believers had to go through in the first century. And we, we look in that and it's like a mirror. Uh, we see some of the same struggles and pains and difficulties that we face today. We see some of the same challenges we, they had then as we have today. Maybe not as severe, but they feel just as severe to us. And And so, Father, as we close this series, I just want us to remember this one thing. That in spite of everything that we face, all difficulties, all danger, all brokenheartedness, everything we face, stand fast in the grace of God. Don't try and stand fast on your own strength. Don't try and prop yourself up with some chemical or person or situation. Stand fast in the grace of God. And Father, may we know that, may we feel that, may we live that as we are finding hope in a hopeless world. Thank you, Father, for the truth of this word. And we pray your blessing on it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, Amen.